Well, good morning. Um, my name is Steve Farina, and uh, I'm new, the new guy, I guess. And I just want to tell you how much in these short six months since I started uh, working at Kettlebrook, how much I've enjoyed working with Ryan and with Libby and with Todd and Lisa. And I am incredibly blessed because I get a chance to serve with them, uh, great people who are pouring into my life, and I'm just so thankful for that. Thank you for helping me to be better. Um, thanks to each of you. Um, since I'm the new guy, that means I'm going to give you a curveball this morning. And so there's this handy sheet of paper that you got, and we're going to start with that. My passage to talk about today is going to be from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is giving us a message of anticipation. He's saying, hey, this this person is coming. This person is coming. And the writer Matthew, 750 years later, who's writing at the time of Jesus Christ, says, he's come. Isaiah was right. He's come. And so this morning, we're going to have a little bit of a reflection time. And that reflection time, I'm going to ask you to do from Matthew 4. I'm going to ask you to do that. We're going to take a couple of minutes and let you reflect on Matthew 4. See what words jump out at you from that, okay? But just before I let you have that reflection time, I would like to read with you this passage from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And you would find it on page 481. There it is. 481 in the Story of God Bibles that are underneath your feet, okay? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning with the fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Take a couple minutes now and use this page as a reflection uh, as we look at this particular passage.
Okay, well, thank you for taking that time to just open up the scriptures and let them speak to you. Gary, if I can just have the next slide. Before you set aside that passage from Matthew 4, there's three words that I'd like you to circle if you didn't already. The first one is, he withdrew. Your Bible says he, re- he went away, but I'd like you to understand that word means he withdrew. The second one, to fulfill. And the third one, the third one, repent. Okay? So, as we talk about this particular passage of Isaiah, what we have to think about is we have to think about a prophet 750 years before Jesus came calling out people and pointing with anticipation, saying to them, someone is coming, someone is coming, and you can't believe when he comes. And his audience, you have to understand as they were listening, must have been in shock of saying, how can this be? It's too good to be true. Now, uh, in our time today, one of the things that, uh, as I've been new on staff for these last six months, as I've listened to people's stories, as I've been getting to know different people, I keep hearing this message. It's a message of people saying, it started with anxiety and then depression. And then someone would say, and, and then our, my father had to go into the hospital because he was suffering with anxiety and the depression. And in our own family, my own family, I remember my grandfather having to go in to get care because of anxiety and depression, and then my uncle as well. And so so it's something that's been in our family and we're familiar with, anxiety and depression. And then we had a meeting between the different pastoral staffs from around the community of West Bend and Washington County and the United Way Board. And the United Way Board came and said, um, we want to know what you think is one of the great issues within Washington County. And we said, we gave our ideas. And then they said, the number one issue within Washington County is mental health. As we talk with law enforcement in Washington County, the issue is mental health. As we talk with the leaders of the different school districts within Washington County, the issue is mental health. It's anxiety and depression. And so as you think about this and you say, wow, anxiety and depression, and it's it's come, and then as we come to the holidays and you have Thanksgiving and you have Christmas and you have New Year, it's it's meant to be a family time, and yet that gets turned around and it goes from anxiety and depression to depression and anxiety as people feel an aloneness as they realize their own brokenness, as they realize the brokenness of the relationships they have and the loss of what they've lost in that brokenness. So you may say to yourself, well, Steve, that's, that's a modern-day 21st century problem. Why are we looking at a prophet that gave his testimony 2,700 years ago? What relevance does that have for us today? That's a good question, but Gary, if we can go to that next slide. I'd like to look at the first verse that we read, and I want you to see what it says. Isaiah said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. What would be another word for gloom? Depression. What would be another word for distress? Anxiety. Now, 
what did Isaiah say? There will be no more. There is someone who's coming who's going to take this away. There will be no more. So as the audience of Isaiah hears this message, they're like, hey, this is too good to be true. And yet Isaiah is talking about something that he's so excited about, so excited about that he's creating anticipation by saying, this guy is coming. This person is coming. So he's telling us about a person to come. He's also told us where he's going to come from. Look, it's humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. What is that? Well, that's a good question. So I'm going to make a map for you. Here's my map. Here's the Sea of Galilee. All right, the Jordan River runs like this into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea Valley is there. Over here is the Mediterranean. There's a river that comes out of it called the River of Egypt that runs to the Red Sea. The nation of Israel is from here to here, just like that. The city of Jerusalem is about here. And as you saw in that passage from Matthew 4, right here was Nazareth. Jesus lived with his mother and father about 90 miles to the north in Nazareth in what was formerly the region of Zebulun. There it is. And then to get away from his parents, he went 30 miles farther north. And as that word that I had you circle on your text withdrew, he withdrew to Capernaum and set up his headquarters way up here. Now he's 120 miles away from Jerusalem. Why? Well, what happened to John? He got arrested. The religious authorities hated Jesus. The Roman authorities hated Jesus. So he's going to get away and he's going to set up shop here. And the lion's share of his ministry goes on here, around this Lake of Galilee and throughout the region of formerly Zebulun and Naphtali. Wow, that's where he's going to be. That's where he's going to be. And if we can hit that next slide then, Gary, look what it says. A light has dawned. If you are dawning light into gloom and darkness, what are we talking about? If you have a glimmer of light that shows hope, thank you, exactly right. And not only would it be a little light, it would be a great light. And so what Isaiah is telling us is he's saying, hey, not only is he going to get rid of anxiety and depression, but he is going to give you such hope. It's incredible, the greatness of his hope that's to come. So now you understand why his hearers are like, I want to believe, I want to believe, but that's so good news. Just not sure if I can believe it's true. So he says in verse 3, we increase their joy. Hmm, increase their joy. Would would that person to come, would he do that? Uh, Let's see what more of this verse is about. Well, yeah, it's rejoice everywhere. Rejoice, rejoice, joy. This next one must be about joy. So not only would the person to come bring us hope, he would bring us joy. And he gives us two examples to look at. Joy of the farmer who isn't sure he's going to make it for another year. You know, you get to May and all that old food that we were eating from last year is just about gone and you've been rationing it. And if the harvest doesn't come, we may not survive. 
And so you get a picture here of people with bundles full, filling blankets with the grain that they have, putting it on their shoulder and taking it home. And woohoo! We are joyful because we are got a lease on life for one more year because of the harvest. Or you look at the example of a soldier. A soldier who fought the battle, survived, and now the king says to him, see that section of the city over there? Yes, sir. It's all yours. Go get it. Payday. It's a soldier's payday. So what's in common about these two illustrations is both of them are about life and death. And that's the point of joy. Joy is when I realize that, you know what? If this didn't happen, I may not survive. We're not talking about here about happiness, which is kind of fleeting and comes and goes. We're talking about joy that I have been granted a lease on life for one more year. The soldier thinks that way. The farmer thinks that way. And I have joy, joy. Because of the relationship that I can have with that person to come. He grants hope. He grants joy. Next one, Gary. He grants, and we underline these. I'll need your help here then. This is too big for me. I can't really quite get it up on my shoulders. But if you will, yeah, put it up there now. Yeah, I've got to get it up. And I need this. All right, so what's this a picture of? What's this a picture of? A burden that I'm carrying, right? The bar across my shoulders, as it says right up there, that's the bar. This is the rod, okay? And this is a picture of someone who is being uh, occupied um, under uh, someone else's authority. The stick sometimes comes and drives me on, right? I'll talk about the rod in a moment, but I want to talk about this burden. Sometimes this burden is given to me by other people, and I'm willing to carry it. I can carry it, but it sure is not pleasant. Sometimes this rod comes from me. Sometimes I create that rod. I'll give you an example of what I mean. The other day, because our weather has been kind of crazy, we have been trying to get our leaves raked. And so I was in my front yard, and we just had just a little bit of warm weather, just enough to get it done. And so I was raking as fast as I could and getting it out into the street as fast as I could. And I was just had a small section left to do, and I thought, you know what? I need to send a text message. So I stepped out of the street and leaned up against the fire hydrant and started to send a text. About that moment, I heard a car engine rev, and I looked over here, and there's a car coming toward me. And on our city street, there was a slower car, and this person gunned it and came through my leaf pile and came right by me and went driving on, cutting in front of the slower car. And as I watched... um, It was a young man on his cell phone and just driving very fast. And so when that happened, I was so mad. And I was kind of kicking myself for not having the presence of mind to just come around with my rake 
And maybe I could have thrown it at him and hit him with that. And that's about the time that the shoulder angel on the other side said, yeah, but that would have caused an accident. And your service at Kettlebrook Church would have been very short (laughs) because you would have gotten in a fight and it would have not ended well. And so I started rehearsing the injury in my mind. You know what? I'm going to tell everybody who I'm going to tell everybody about this. Everybody I see. And I'm going to talk about it. And you know what happens if I start talking about it is it suddenly starts getting internalized. It runs a loop in my head. It's running a loop. It's running a loop and it's coming down in here. And it has a tendency to rob me of hope and joy and freedom. It's a self-made burden. Oh, I'm willing to carry it. I'm willing to carry it. So I started, and I went to my son, Anthony, and I said, Hey, Anthony, do you believe what happened? Let me tell you what happened here. And Anthony said, "Um, I don't know, Dad. Do you think you should forgive that young man? Anthony, don't go spiritualizing these things on this. I have a great story to tell people, and I want to hold on to it. So I said to him, yeah, you're probably right. And so we prayed together. And we prayed. I forgave the young man, and we prayed that God would save the young man from his own ways and have mercy on him and that he would find, if he didn't already, faith in Jesus. And you know what the best part of this story is? I told this story last Sunday at, West Bend, and someone went up to my wife and said to her, so what did you think of that? She said, I never heard this story. This is the first time I heard it. So the forgiveness happened. I forgot it. I put it behind. It stopped with Anthony. And so that burden can be here. It also can be the rod. Sometimes the rod is someone else. And what we hear them saying is saying things like, you are useless. I don't know what's wrong with you. You never do things the right way. And so there can be that rod. There also can be me with a rod going like this. I wish I were smarter. I wish I were more spiritual. I wish I knew that Jesus really loved me. There's no way that he could forgive me for what I've done. And yet what Isaiah is telling us in this message is, the yoke will be gone. I'll take away that burden. I will take the rod out of your hand. And I'll take it away. This person to come offers us hope. He offers us joy. He offers us freedom. Next slide, please. Notice what it says here. Every. It says it twice. Twice. It's a little complicated, a little difficult verse for us to understand, but what does it mean? Well, after a battle, what they did is they cleaned up everything and they put it in a bonfire and they burned it up. What it means is that our freedom that we will have in that person to come will be complete. There won't be any vestige left 
of the burden or of the rod. There won't be any vestige left. It'll all be done away with and cleansed away. This is the good news. This is the anticipation of Isaiah, of the person to come. He would bring hope. He would bring joy. He would bring complete freedom. And he's pointing to this in such a way that it's like, oh, 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 I got to know more. I got to know more. So at this point, I'd like to let you take a couple minutes, five minutes actually, a couple five minutes, and look at the last two verses. Because now Isaiah is giving us who it is, and he's going to describe him even more fully. And so if you will take your sheet of paper that you have there, and just flip it over. I want to give you just a couple minutes to look at the key ideas here that jump out at you. So let's take a few moments with that text. If I can have that that next slide, then. I don't know what you circled on your piece of paper, but maybe you saw this, that it says, for us, twice, for us, for us. And, you know, ultimately, I'm not really responsible for you. I'm only responsible for me. And I'll have to stand before God someday and give an account for everything I've done and everything I've said. So what this means is the guy that Isaiah is pointing to, the person to come, is for me. I'm so excited that it's for me that I might have hope, that I might have joy, that I might have complete freedom. It's for me, and it's for you too. It's for us. Next slide, Gary. And the government will be upon his shoulders. Notice that it says there twice, what government are we talking about? Well, I'd like you to write this down, Matthew 28, verse 18, to look at later. Matthew 28, Verse 18, and Jesus says this, All authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me. All is mine. And so what the Lord Jesus is saying to us is that it's, it's all his. And it's all going to become his. And he is continuing, his government is weaving its way, his authority, his dominion is weaving its way through the people groups on this planet. And he is drawing people to himself. And that, as it says right there, the greatness of his government, there will be no end. It's never going to stop. Never, ever going to stop. Now, you may um, like apps, different apps on your phone. I want to encourage you to look at Operation World as a prayer journal for you. Um, you can open it up every day and it will talk about different countries of the world to be praying for. 
And one of the countries that I prayed for is one you might have heard of. It's called the United States. And a few weeks ago, we were praying for the United States, and one fact just stuck in my mind that was so amazing. In the United States, there are 5.2 million Jews. And of those 5.2 million Jews, 5%, 250,000 have declared Jesus Christ to be their Lord and their Savior and have begun to follow him. And they have found their way into local Christian churches. But some of them are still meeting in the synagogue system, and we call them messianic synagogues. That is, Jesus followers who keep the synagogue system. There's over 300 in the United States right now. This is the largest number of believing Jews anywhere in the history of the world since the first century. Anywhere in the world since the first century. The government of the Lord Jesus is making its way through people groups. What we've been watching with uh, Eric and Molly and Chad, what is Jesus doing with his government? He's extending it to Muslim Chadians at such a rate that it's unbelievable. He continues to increase his government. And in his government, there is no end. And what about us? What about us as Kettlebrook? Are we growing? Our numbers are up from last year 17%. Washington County is one of the fastest growing counties in all of Wisconsin. It's growing by 2.5%. What that means is we're growing faster than our county because Jesus continues to extend himself through the peoples within our county. And a last one. Just had this the other day, again, from Operation World. I was praying for Uzbekistan, and I had a dear friend there named Jim Warkington, Jim and Maria. And Jim went there uh, back in the early 90s to Uzbekistan, and he would say to me, Steve, it's so hard to find an Uzbek believer. It's so hard. And so Jim put himself to work. And he created a little machine, and he patented it. It's a raisin destemmer. Can you believe that? Think about missions with a raisin destemmer. Well, the Uzbeki government loved him because he took their grade of raisins from B class to A class. And Uzbeks began to export raisins and make phenomenal profit from it because of Jim's work. And yet as we talked, he would say, I haven't found any Uzbek believers yet. But I read this about Jesus' faithfulness in his government. It says this, There are now probably more than 10,000 Uzbek believers where there are possibly none a generation ago. Jesus' kingdom continues to grow and expand through the people group's On the planet, with his kingdom, there is no end. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. What that means is that in a a relationship with Jesus, he is one who speaks to my mind and heart. He knows me better than anyone else. He's gentle with me. Like I showed you before, when I'm ready to hit myself and say, ah, he says, Steve, Steve. Gentle, let's talk a little bit. 
I see a little bit of a wounding in your heart. And I want to talk about it with you. Where did that come from? What happened? And so he quietly sits with me and he gently loves it out of me. And he takes some of his balm and he puts it on my heart. And he helps me draw into a deeper relationship with him because he's a wonderful counselor. He never gives me too much to handle. He knows that I am simple. He knows that I'm broken. And he knows that I can be overwhelmed. And so slowly he just works with me at his rates with my heart to make me to be more intimate with him. Wonderful counselor for me. Now the one caveat though, or maybe there's two caveats that you have with being a counselor, is you've got to make time to sit with a counselor and, and, and you have to listen. And the hardest part about this time of the year is that we're rushing and we're rushing about is it's hard to make time. It's hard to listen. But wonderful counselor for us. Mighty God. Mighty God. What does that mean? Well, one aspect of his being mighty God is his victory over death. If you write this down to look at later, John chapter 10, verse 18. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says this. My life I have authority of over. No one else can take my life from me. The Father has given me authority to lay down my life in death, and he's given me authority to take it up again. Laying down your life, dying, and then you step back from the dead, your dead body, and you can look at it, Jesus? Yes, I can. And then you will go and raise it again? Yes, I can. I've been given that authority by the Father. So let me ask you, can you do that? Can you delay your death by even a few seconds? We don't have that power. And yet we're talking about a mighty God who allows us to know him. He who has the victory over death. Mighty God. Wonderful counselor. Everlasting father. I so appreciated the message that Ryan gave us about fathering. That back on October 20th, if you remember, you can listen to it online. It was magnificent. It was someone who grew up without a father saying, God is teaching me how to be a father to my own children. And can I say this? That as wonderful, that, that's wonderful for me as well. It's wonderful who had a father, but always felt like my relationship with my father was ugh, my longing for him. My longing for greater intimacy, my longing for more, I think he did the best he could. Now, at the beginning of this message, I failed to introduce my daughter, Laurel, here, and her fiancé, Ben. She can tell you all the dirty secrets about me and how I failed as a father. Laurel can say the same thing. She can say, he's a knucklehead, but he did the best he could. He had his own baggage that he was bringing. But you know what this is saying? Is it saying that longing that I have for fathering, that longing I have for intimate relationship, the Lord Jesus will give that. And not just now, but for all eternity. How beautiful it is to be in a relationship with him. My longing for that fathering, he will give. 
Prince of Peace. Why does it say Prince of Peace and not King of Peace? Why does it say Prince of Peace and not King of Peace? Because Jesus, the King of Peace is God himself, and Jesus was showing us here on earth what that peace is like. That peace that only he can give. He's the founder of peace. He has the monopoly on peace. When someone talks to you about having financial peace, it's a lie. When someone talks to you about finding the perfect gift that will be, make everyone happy, it's a lie. The only peace that can come is from the Lord Jesus. A true peace. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. I want you to think about that last word we talked about from Jesus' message in chapter uh, in, in Matthew 4, verse 17. The word was repent. Repent. See that coffee cup? That coffee cup is my life. And if I fill it with so much stuff that it's overflowing and Jesus isn't part of it, I cannot guarantee you the hope that I've talked about, the joy I've talked about, or the complete freedom I've talked about. If all that stuff is filling our lives, pushing Jesus out, it won't be. We won't be able to experience it. But if, like that coffee cup, we take it and we just dump it out and then empty, say, Jesus, fill me. Fill me. I repent. Why didn't Jesus say, believe? Why didn't he say, believe me? Why did he say, repent instead? Well, the reason is because I've met a lot of people in our conversa- and in conversations, and what I hear them say is, I believe in Jesus, and they just keep walking and doing, living their life the way they want. True belief is saying, Lord, I empty my cup. I repent. I turn. Fill me with yourself to overflowing so that I may follow you completely. Hope. Joy. Complete freedom. And all these wonderful attributes. Isaiah's pointing them in anticipation. And Matthew tells us, He's here. He's here. This is what we're celebrating this season. My challenge and encouragement to you is repent. Repent before him. Experience more of his goodness. Experience more of his fullness. Give him all of yourself. Let your coffee cup be filled with him and him alone and nothing else. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. Love you so well. Thank you that you can use Balaam's donkey, you can use me. Pray today, Jesus, that you would take these words and you would redeem them and they would resonate in our hearts and that we would continue to walk with you in a way that was so pleasing to you. I repent, Jesus. I repent.
how I need you, Jesus. Thanks again for this time. Thank you for these beautiful people. Thank you that you have come, Lord Jesus, to give us all these things. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.